Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. Now, my next guest is no stranger to Hope FM. He has uh, presented the business show, he's presented the education show, and done all sorts of other uh, bits and pieces. Uh, so, uh, good morning, Simon. Oh, good morning, Blair. How are you? I am good, thank you. And I don't know whether we're going to be able to get in all that you've done over your life in this next hour, but we'll have a, we'll have a good try. Simon, let me begin by asking you, when did the whole faith journey begin for you? Um, well, it's relatively recently in one sense in that I was brought up as a Christian in a very committed Christian household and then went away as a teenager and sort of stayed that way until... Um, well, still I was all 30 and then uh, suddenly got hit by the Lord And <laughs> <laughs> so what was that hitting experience like? well it's um, I can really understand what Paul was like when he got knocked off a donkey because I was busy um, I was li- you know, Paul and I were living together she had started going to church I was a very vehement atheist and uh I went along to the church that she had started attending just to sort of see what was going on and uh, being able to put her straight, if you like, know what I mean? (laughs) And in the sermon, suddenly God was there and, you know, I am here business. Mm. And uh, that was it. So were you were you one of these very vehement uh, atheists? I mean, you, you've got the atheist who says, I'm an atheist, uh, thank God. <laughs> and then you've got a hardened atheist, there's definitely no God. And then, of course, there's the agnostic. So would you would you have definitely put your, yourself in the, in the hard atheist camp? Oh, very much so. And, you know, tried to, um, to convert people who've been sort of distorted by this Christian nonsense. Mm. I was very anti and very vehement about it. Now, of course, you had been very well educated and, and so on, so you would have been a, a thinking man. And, of course, you were, most of your professional life, you've been involved, uh, you know, in, in the teaching and right up in, you know, to, to the positions of headmaster. H- had your academic studies, um, I suppose, reinforced the, your, your feeling that there was no God? Um, well, I hadn't really affected. I was my feelings of of, a, of no God just carried on and uh, I was looking at um, my education and stuff like that simply from a, 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 an earthly perspective, as it were. Yeah. So obviously you went along, uh, something happened at the Anglican Church, the, the message suddenly began to penetrate and I guess that your whole worldview then was turned upside down. How, how did you cope with that? Well, I mean, it was literally a question of having been this vehement atheist and suddenly God saying, I'm here. Um, it meant that all that, uh, my, I don't know, pressure and excitement and vehemence about atheism was literally turned on its head. But because I was so vehement about it, the vehemence um, was based on my passionate desire to share what I believed. And my, what I believed had suddenly become something very different. So I was equally passionate to share that because that's how sort of person I was. And I guess that would point to the fact of why, uh, right the way through your life, in fact, I guess you've always been an activist your whole life, but but, but obviously since becoming a Christian, that that direction of service has been in, in, in a, in very much involved throughout the church and different organisations. And I guess your mm. professional life as well. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, it was, uh, I, the church we went to a very rapidly just asked me to go to a meeting, and that meeting was with a group of Pentecostal ministers in the main preparing for um, a crusade. And I got sort of was involved, became involved in that, having been a Christian all oh, the sort of huge time of about two months. Now, um, yeah, was, that, was that the Louis, the Louis Palau crusade? Now, well, it was prior to the Louis Palau crusade. It was um, a, a local one on, based on North London, out of which um, the thought of getting a, something big going on, is, and then that same little team got the Louis Palau mission going in North London, and it sp spilled over and uh, became Mission to London. Well, let's talk a wee bit about your about your career because obviously the you, your your early days were, were in basically the the building trade. I think you had four years there. Um, oh, just you know, or a hod carrier or something like that. Just plenty of muscle and lots of money and uh, <laughs> not much thinking about it. Though I had actually got in the early stages um, going to Hammersmith College of Building and Arts because I started off as a training manager course quantity surveying. I mean, the reason I left that was because I could earn twice as much on site, and then I found if I went piecework, I could earn twice as much as that, and that's sort of all I was interested in at the age, early ages. And I, guess, I, guess, I mean, that, that's probably true of a lot of people today, you know, what people earn get rich quick, as it were. Um, I mean, that, that was you, was it? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't a question of getting rich, it was a yeah. question of having plenty to spend, and, uh, you I, know, very much yeah. Live, live life as it is now. Yeah. Eat, drink and be merry. <laughs> Tomorrow we might not be here. So the world of education, because obviously you changed direction and, and you were attracted then uh, to teaching. How did that fundamental change come about? Um, well, I think it was just the question of I was thought, well, I'll just try. And uh, I was living near... Uh, it, in East Sheen, which was near Roehampton. So, I mean, I thought, well, I'd go to get involved in teaching. Um, and I looked around, and uh, having enough now to get this thing about supply and demand, um, what I found was that uh, the most in-demand type of teacher, and the one that you could get, there was least of, would be um, a male uh, early years teacher who had been, um, who was trained by one of the sort of the top two uh, early years training institutions, and one of those happened to be in Roehampton, which was just through the park, so I went there. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. The one thing that I forgot to ask you was, because obviously in the early part of your testimony you talked about going to the church, but what I didn't ask you was Pauline's influence, because obviously you'd been, you'd been living together, and then she had become a Christian, was it 18 months? So was it through her influence that you, that you actually went to church in the first instance? Um, it was because of her that I went to church, but because it, what I wanted to do was to sort of stop her being it and try and find out what was going on to I mean, she was still very nice, but uh, she cut all this Christian stuff, and I was going to stop it. That's why. <laughs> she was enthusiastic then. <laughs> no, she was very quiet about it, and very just calmly herself. So that was good. So she she didn't so she didn't foist you know what was going on with her on on you. She just patiently waited for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Well, I mean, 
effect, that's what happens. She, what she was, it was... Can I get her to have a word? Yeah, well, why not? If she's handy, you let, let me just... We might as well hear it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Pauline, so there you were. You had become a Christian then. I think Simon said, was it 18 months before him? Yeah, just, just over a year. So what was it like then? You know, there you were, developing in your own faith and obviously having a husband who at that point, of course, was still a pretty strong athe- atheist. Yes, well, I used to read the Bible when he was shaving, and I hid it because I knew he could argue against anything I said. So I didn't really say much about it. So you used wisdom then, because <laughs> you, knew, you knew what you were going to... And I guess that you would have been quite young in your faith as well. Yes, yeah. I, I became a Christian in the sort of summer, and I went to the church in the January because they posted a leaflet in our door, it was just down the road, and it said it had testimonies on it, which I'd never read before. So I just went to find out, and that was it, really. I stayed there. So tell me, how did you get this hardened atheist to church? <laughs> well, he used to mend the car every Sunday morning, and this particular Sunday, it was fine. So that's why he came along. I think it was curiosity and the fact that I kept going back. And he used, he would say, why are you going somewhere like that? Look at that leaflet. That's such nonsense so he really had to find out what was going on and he came along that Sunday and it was right in the middle of the service that he suddenly knew Jesus was alive <laughs> and he couldn't go back on that but that that must have done your faith uh, a world of good like a real spiritual shot in the arm to see God, God working you know on Simon absolutely yes I mean I, I was such a young Christian but it was just so incredible I could then relax Mm. So what's it been like then in, in the years since? I guess that you are, well, you're pretty much inseparable, aren't you? Yeah, fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for letting, lending Simon to the YMCA and indeed to Hope FM. We, we, are, we are missing him. So uh, oh. uh, thank you so much for that, Pauline. Well, pass me, pass me back to the man himself. I'll, I'll talk to him about his, about his school days. Okay. Yeah. I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we're just saying to Pauline that actually, that, I mean, it would have been a tremendous encouragement to her to see you you coming through. It, it, when you went to school, I mean, education, of course, then and particularly with with infant schools, it would have been very different to maybe some of the environment that we have right now. Well, when you talk about when I went to school as a pupil, or when I went no, to no, when you went as a teacher. Um, in well, in some ways, it was it was it's a much more. It depended on the school, and the school I went to was very free in its education, a very sort of progressive type of school. So um, it was great that it, uh, it was, um, I was capable of doing it. Mm. And very soon afterwards, um, I got uh, promoted up. And um, then not long after that, I became a, a, the head of a, of a church school. Yeah. Now, the church school environment, was that very different to what you've been exper- used to before? Because obviously all of a sudden you, you have a license then to share uh, the Christian faith. Yes. I mean, the, the, t- the particular school I went to with the particular board of governors, because it was St Mary Magdalene's Church and their board of governors, they were all for um, a head who would lead the school from a Christian perspective and uh, evangelistic perspective as well as uh, an educational perspective. 
So I had this more than a free hand. It was an, a free encouragement. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, obviously, uh, quite apart from your, your your school life, I mean, is there anything that you haven't done in, in church life? I, I guess that, that whenever, whenever I think of you, Simon, I think of somebody who's an activist, you know, so you, you just get stuck in. Have you always had that inclination? Well, I always... Whatever organisation I've been involved with, I've always got involved and normally got involved somehow in the sort of leadership, whether it's team or whatever, and uh, just got on with it. Now, you did you, you did pass over earlier on about being involved in preparation for for mission. In fact, just there was more than one mission, actually, over the years that you've been heavily involved in preparing for. What, what memories have you got from, from that experience? Oh, just uh, very much an enjoyment one because it's uh, exciting and you can share one's faith and suddenly see people coming to the Lord. Um, I mean, and because of getting involved, people would sort of pass jobs on and or they would appear to do, do things. So I got into a position, I mean, very early on at, at a meeting with all these Pentecostal ministers, there was a job of being the prayer secretary for a potential mission. And it really sounded boring, and nobody seemed to want to do it. And then I heard my boy said, well, if no one else wants to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> and find out that being a prayer secretary actually meant praying through and getting other churches involved. So Paulie and I used to spend a couple of evenings a week going round to other churches, to their prayer groups, to explain what was going on and try and get them to get involved. And we got about 50 churches involved in that first mission which for a couple of totally green Christians, um, you know, I've been a Christian about two or three months, no more, was really exciting. Well, this is Christian living. It's just like the New Testament. And we got on with it. And it's been like that more or less ever since. Mm. And of course, I mean, isn't it sad that, that people could think that, that prayer was boring? And even even today, I know some people find it very, very difficult to, to, to pray and so on. But clearly you saw it quite the opposite as a challenge and, and the way that actually we can get things done. Oh, yes. It's... <coughs> It, I mean, I've been very much involved in prayer, to my surprise, um, uh, in terms of fostering it, encouraging people, leading people in prayer. Um, and I never thought, of, would never have thought of myself as a, a praying person. But in fact, I've been leading prayer at a very wide level through a lot of missions. Mm. Um, and it is exciting and it is wonderful what God does. And of course, that you, you not only was the prime, but clearly you would have seen the outcome of all of that because I mean, certainly with the Lewis Palau mission and and I know many of the church things that you've in, been involved with, that you've seen God work in wonderful ways, haven't you? Yes, I mean the the thing that was really helpful is that uh, because I was volunteering to do whatever was going, and one of the things was to teach people in the, to be um, uh, counselors, you know, bon- uh, mission counselors. So I was running um, these training courses, which lasted six weeks, all around London. I did run that course about 13 times, by which time I knew what the course was about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Got to know lots and lots of people um, who saw me as a, a teacher and a person, a prayer leader. So, I mean, I, by the time the mission came along, suddenly there was I with a literally um, about a, a thousand people who 
knew me in some way, or as a teacher, as a, a face up the front, and someone who led prayer from up the front. So, you know, I, to me, often you see a, a, a group of people which might be up to 250, and their faces, um, a sea of them, whereas they all see you. And so I, I w- was known more than I knew, if you know what I mean. Mm. Hope FM. Faith-filled radio. And my very special guest in this hour of the programme is Simon Marsh. Now, Simon, amongst other things, you then got involved in, in broadcasting. And if I'm right, you, you presented the business show on Hope FM. And, uh, and of course, more latterly, you were doing the education programme. What was it that, that attracted you to the to the airwaves, as it were? Well, I've been... Uh, I'd spoken on... Because of being a guest on somebody else's show. And... Uh, she said, but you're a natural. Why do, why don't you, have you ever thought of joining as a broadcaster? And I said, oh, I don't know. And they said, there's a course. Uh, and the, the course which was going to happen, um, in fact, it hardly materialised, but the, by the at which stage, they said, well, get on with it. And I found I was just doing it. Mm. And I thought, I don't know anything about the business show, which, of course, is absolute nonsense, because as a head, all the thing to be a, a, an effective and efficient businessman you actually need those same skills to run a school because it's lots of money involved and hiring and firing staff and keeping things running efficiently and utilising your resources. So it was a natural switch over and it fitted. And I, I guess that, that, I mean, you must have, you know, over the time that you've been doing the programmes, it was quite a while, and met some very, very interesting people. Oh, yes, on and off. Um because it was, what, eight years of doing it, so it's uh, a fair few people came along. Mm. And, of course, you also find yourself on the board of, of uh, YMCA Bournemouth and, and obviously involved with the, with the wonderful work that that organisation undertakes. Yes, uh, that was going through Hope, because uh, Hope needed somebody um, on involved with it because uh, it was a question of that relationship between Hope and the YMCA and uh, (laughs) the ready volunteer. uh, (laughs) Yeah, the ready... Well, as I said before, you just get stuck in there, don't you? I guess that's the the clarion card for both you and Pauline, for that matter. It was very much because of the health and safety requirements that that were needed and, and I did know quite a lot about health and safety I've been a representative not for the heads with Islington Council, etc. So uh, that input, that sort of set of, uh, of experiences just really just rolled over and just fitted in, and out of that came all sorts of other things. Now, the past year has probably been the most challenging time uh, of your life because out of, out of the blue, you would have become pretty ill. Uh, tell us about how that news first came to you. Well, uh, at the end of December um, last year, I just wasn't feeling very well, and I'd been to the doctor, and then she took some blood tests. And then I got a um, a phone call at 9.55 from the out-of-hours doctor, said, you've got to go to A&E. So I went there, and then... The following morning, they just checked because my blood pressure was 198 over 103. Um, they found I had a kidney function of five, and, norm- and you know it. You need normally to be about th- minimum of 30 and ideally 90. Uh, 
that I had an um, immune system breaking down, nephritis of the, of the kidneys, etc. And uh, it was realised something was seriously ill. I was transformed for, to Dorchester renal unit. And then um, a couple of days later, following tests, uh, I, it was diagnosed as myeloma, uh, which is bone marrow cancer. And then what happened is that um, they were going to tell me what I had. And instead of a doctor telling me, there was a little team who sort of walked along. I wonder if they need a team of it for. And most of them were supportive people because, uh, you know, they're basically going to tell me, look, you've got a terminal disease, there's no cure, and you're told you've got sort of three to five years um, maximum. And, you know, most people might get really upset by that. And as they were telling me what was wrong with me, God spoke to me at the same time. He said, I am with you. Very simply, very clear, and totally more important than all the stuff that was going on. So when they were saying, oh, we need to give you all this help, and I said, no, it's all right, I don't need it. God's with me. And what it gave me was this absolute opening to be able to say why I was okay, because everyone would say, well, how are you coping? And the minute someone asks you the question of how you're coping, that means they've given me permission to tell them which means they've given me permission to tell them that God is helping me, he is with me, and that's why it's okay. And I found I've been able to give a testimony. Well, there's this period of time when I gave, people were asking me left, right, and center, and I gave a testimony to every single person who asked, uh, which was an amazing opening. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they talk about living with cancer, and you're definitely doing that. I mean, I guess that when people get a prognosis like that, maybe it's more difficult for those who who are looking on and they think, oh, heart terrible, you know, in this case, poor Simon, you know, and whatever. But, of course, you have never really thought that yourself. And uh, have you had people around you who have who clearly have been thinking that way and then you, you were able to put them straight? Well... Anybody who sort of said, oh, it must be pretty bad. Yes, it is, but. And, and the but is the fact that, so what? This is how I am in that, at the moment. Um, you know the Ephesians 2 thing, 2.10, where God's workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do those good works which God has arranged for you to do. In other words, it's stitched up for you to do. Mm. And when you add in context, suddenly I am in this position and God has stitched me up with a whole load of things to do. And what I can do is I can tell them what's happening, that he's with me. And people are asking, so I tell them. Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. And of course, I've been talking to Simon and Pauline Marsha today. So, Pauline, obviously you have you heard the the diagnosis uh, and so on, and you've been, uh, you've been having to deal with it yourself. How has it been for you? Well, once Simon knew what it was, and when he told me that he had that word from God, that God was with him, not necessarily to cure him, but was with him, whatever happened, it, it just, it was fine, for want of a better word, that may sound sort of unemotional, but it was fine by me. God was there, God was in the middle of it all, and if, you know, my faith said, trust God, mm. and that was it. And so both of us have been able to carry through, even through the chemo and the dialysis for the kidney, and then when the really bad time hit in, we still had that tremendous faith that 
God was there through it all. But isn't there something about faith? I guess that you people will have heard the term, you know, where the rubber hits the road. I mean, both you and Simon have had a life, a life journey of faith and an exciting uh, journey at that. And you've both been, you've both been very, very active. I guess this is just another chapter in in the book, which in one level, I guess there would be a tendency for fear, but you've actually chosen to go down the faith route and be positive, living, living with what God gives rather than giving up. Being together in this, I guess that that has been very important. Absolutely, because we can support each other in different ways. Obviously, I, when Simon went through the very bad time, I was there to care and guide him through every sort of small step but we're you know we have been together we've got a strong love for each other and we have god in the center of our marriage and that sounds horribly simplistic but that's exactly what it is but isn't the gospel itself simplistic i mean the fact of jesus dying and rising from what can be more simplistic than that i guess maybe in life we complicate things too much always always because there's always the why this and why is that but we're not going to know God's answers to everything, unfortunately. He doesn't write on the wall for all of us. So we just simply have to trust him. Now, you, you said, of course, that Simon did go through a very bad patch, and, 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 and clearly, uh, you know, he was, he was very, very ill, and as you said, you were caring for him. But, but then God sent you a, another angel, didn't he? He did. So that was in the form of, of somebody who was able to help to change the medication. And that, 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 made a, that made a big difference, didn't it? Okay, yeah, because of Simon's medication, he had uh, really bad neuropathy, which meant he couldn't put weight on his legs, and in the end he couldn't walk, and he was just lying in bed, and his muscles wasted. And then one of the GPs said, let's try this particular drug, which actually targeted the neuropathy and the hospital were happy for them to use it because his kidneys were now functioning a bit better. And that has made a huge difference in our life because gradually he's learning to stand and he's beginning to take a few steps with a Zimmer frame, etc. So it's just brilliant. It's slow progress, but it's progress. Absolutely. And what about, what about the witness? Because I know that the witness is really important to Simon, as no doubt it is to you. And, and, and I guess that, I mean, here you are on the radio talking about these things and giving a real testimony to your faith. But with your, your family and your friends, how, how has it been for them? I think it's affected them more than it has us because they see that we're coping really well. But of course, for them, they're outside and they're really concerned. Um, but I think because we're so positive and our faith is so strong, it, it gives them a lift too. It helps them deal with it. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I guess now that Simon's sort of back and getting health and strength back again, that, that, you know, that there'll be opportunity to, to do things. He's already <laughs> keen to share his faith. When he talked about actually sharing all the way through, right from the point when he got the prognosis to the very people who give it to them. But again, that's part of your, your DNA, isn't it? Well, it's certainly more his than me. He's much more outspoken than me, usually. <laughs> <laughs> Hope FM, faith-filled radio. Simon, thank you so much for being uh, my guest. And I guess that you, you're ready for your next assignment on Hope FM. So shall we get stuck into that then? <laughs> okay, you send me what you want and I'll <laughs> volunteer. For more inspirational interviews, podcasts and Hope FM best bits, 
visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.